Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks and streamers but never produced, and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and host of Dead Pilot Society. We had a great live show this past Sunday at the Lyric Hyperion. I'm really excited to bring you the two unbelievably funny pilots we read uh, in the upcoming months. You know, these live shows come up and sell out fast, so you really want to follow us on social media to make sure that you don't miss them. You know, the actors have joined the writers on strike. I'm sure you know this at this point, but uh, we can keep bringing you great original material because we've come up with an ingenious workaround to make it possible for actors to do these table reads. We don't pay them. And yet, we get the very best people. It makes no sense, but we're just going to keep doing it. Our dead pilot this month is The Sleeping Father by Michelle and Kieran Mulroney. Michelle and Kieran are mostly known as screenwriters with credits including Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows, and Power Rangers, uh, Paper Man, but they've also done uncredited rewrites on all sorts of movies. Michelle is also the vice president of the WGA, and they're both just the nicest, greatest people. Uh, it's been one of uh, the joys of recent months for me getting to know them. This is also one of the most unusual pilots that we've done. It's based on a novel by Matthew Sharp. It's a dysfunctional family story. It's a coming-of-age story. The lead character slips into a coma in the pilot. You know, I'm pretty sure you have not heard anything like it, and it's great. And we're bringing you not only the pilot, but a second episode next week. Yes, Michelle and Kieran wrote a second episode, which we will be bringing you. This is such great characters, such great writing. I was really glad to get to spend a second episode with them. I wish there were more. This really would have been a fantastic streaming show. Our cast from Kids in the Hall and News Radio, Dave Foley. Uh, Donna from Suits is here. Sarah Rafferty. From Cherry and Wayne, Ciara Bravo. From Blindspot, Ennis Esmer. From American Housewife, Daniel DiMaggio. From Superstore and Ghosts, Nicole Sakura. From We Have a Ghost and This Is Us, Niles Fitch. From American Vandal and Sons of Anarchy, Belina Logan. And from the improvised Shakespeare Company, Greg Hess. Fantastic cast as always and if you want to see him on zoom i think you know what to do you just have to become a max fund member for as little as five dollars a month you'll get access to all of our video go to maximumfund.org slash join now enjoy the pilot of the sleeping father after a brief message hey sydney you're a physician and the co-host of sawbones a marital tour of misguided medicine right that's true justin is it true that our medical history podcast is just as good as a visit to your primary care physician no, Justin, that is absolutely not true. Uh, however, our podcast is funny and interesting and a great way to learn about the medical misdeeds of the past, as well as some current not-so-legit healthcare fads. So you're saying that by listening to our podcast, people will feel better. Sure. And isn't that the same reason that you go to the doctor? Well, uh, you could say that. But and our podcast is free? Yes, it is free. You heard it here first, folks. Sawbones, Meryl Tour of Misguided Medicine, right here on Maximum Fun. Just as good as going to the doctor. No, no, no. Still not just as good as going to the doctor, but but pretty good. It's up there. All right. I'm here with the Mulroneys, Michelle and Kieran Mulroney. Uh, thanks for being here. And why don't you tell folks a little bit about what we're about to hear? Love Thank to. you for having us. Um, we're here today to read the pilot and the second episode of The Sleeping Father, 
based on the very brilliant and hilarious novel by Matthew Sharp. Um, the genesis of this project goes back a while. We wrote it first as a screenplay in, back in 2004 for Warner Brothers. This was just, I'm going to interject here, so this was our, our very first studio job was adapting this novel. Wow. And, and as you'll hear, it's the kind of thing that the studios used to be interested in making. <laughs> that changed somewhere along the line, and so it had, a, it had an evolution. But luckily, we got a second bite at the apple when about, what, five years ago, Warner Brothers Television said, hey, could that screenplay possibly be a TV show? We thought about it long and hard and relished the opportunity to, like, dig in a little deeper on all the characters, really explore this fucked up world and this crazy family that's imploding. So uh, we couldn't resist taking taking another shot at it. Um, so it's, it's a 20-year journey of, of, of the, the various iterations of failure to get it over the line. <laughs> so that's why <laughs> we're here today. The writer. The life so, of the writer. Um, but what attracted us to it in the first place was obviously Matthew's brilliant book was the jumping off point. And then we just became obsessed with the implosion of the the Schwartz family at the center of this story and the very messed up way that they rebuilt their family, brought in all these strays and confused people into the center of their family and just tried to get by day by day. Uh, we we love the messiness of it and the uncertainty of all these characters and the pain and the humor and all that stuff. So that's what that's what got us excited. Awesome. Well, that will, everyone's going to get to hear that. And I look forward to the video game. Uh, that you guys <laughs> yeah. And the merch. Next. Come on. Yeah. The merch. Yeah. Also yeah. the merch. That, that's, that's going to be the one. I think that's yeah. where it's going <laughs> to. All right. Thank you. We'll talk. I, I, I'm excited to hear the whole story. We'll talk more at length later, but let's get into it. This is the sleeping father, the Thank pilot episode drop and roll by Michelle Mulroney and Kieran Mulroney, based on the novel The Sleeping Father by Matthew Sharp. It's the cold open. We're close on a face, a man, haggard, broken somehow. He looks right down the lens, brow furrowed, confused. What is that? We're in an off-kilter house. It's weird angles, like a life-size dollhouse made by a drunk uncle. The lights flash on and off. That's a, a haircut. A, a, oh, uh, a hangover? No, no, a, uh, a house. The front door swings open like a mouth. Two beautiful geishas, faces horror white, beckon him from the doorway. The man's in a front hallway, looking up a steep set of stairs. The floor lists and sways like an ocean liner. He looks to the left, a living room. That's a uh, lizard room. No, no, lonely room. A ly lying room. A lying... No, uh, living room. He looks to his right. A dining room. A dying room. Dying room. No. At the top of the stairs, the geishas beckon. As the man climbs the stairs, his feet break through the risers like the house is made of balsa wood. We're in the upstairs hallway. Down the hallway, the geishas beckon the man towards a doorway. His feet sink into the carpet like quicksand. The geishas gently lay the man down in a bedroom onto a bed made of cotton balls like a cloud. You sleep now. You sleep. 
They pull a heavy blanket over him, pinning him down. A persistent high-pitched beeping noise over and over. The man struggles under the weight of his situation. No, 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 let me out! The beeping gets louder and louder until a blinding white light flashes us to a regular room in a regular hospital. The man is in a regular bed in a regular coma. Their faces in surgical masks that loom. One doctor lowers her mask, bites her lip, looks too young to be a neurosurgeon. She's a rookie on her first case. She's Dr. Lisa Danmeyer. Who's going to tell his kids? Four pairs of eyes land on her. Tag, she's it. In the waiting room, Dr. Danmeyer lurks in the doorway. She peers over at two teenage kids. A boy dressed as Ziggy Stardust and a girl dressed as a Carmelite nun. Dan Meyer takes a deep breath. This is going to suck. And that's the end of the cold open. We're in San Marino, California. Under a relentless California sun sits a shitbox of a house. This is the Schwartz house. The dud on the block. Sun faded, chipped paint over ugly stucco. Neglect. A super title reads, The day before the night everything changed. There's a series of images, stuff, junk, any old thing, a broken sprinkler head gurgling weak spray like a limp dick, a Brinks home security sign tangled in a bush. Over this, the click of a record button being pressed and the sound of a man's voice. Testing, testing, okay. This is tape 142 of Dad's ongoing series of unsolicited parental advice. Ready, Chris? All right. And a couple of crappily carved jack-o'-lanterns on the stoop. A store-bought Halloween faux cobweb on a dead hedge. Don't get a dog. You won't necessarily think it's a mistake at first, but the truth is, some days you're not going to want to take that walk. Most days. We see a giant plastic spider with one eye and a missing leg. And by the way, what is the deal with stuffed crust pizza? Hat on a hat, right? Let's be better than that. We're in an above-the-garage home office. It's scaled more for a hobbit than a human. Stupidly low ceiling, half-done drywall. And we see Bernie Schwartz. He's the man from the opening. He records into an old dictaphone, laying down wisdom for the ages. Bernie's in his rumpled middle years, not exactly putting his best foot forward. He's wearing pajama bottoms and a t-shirt like, that's okay. Into the dictaphone. Don't let the bastards get you down, son. And there will be bastards, and they will get you down. Just don't let them. If they do, uh, just drop and roll. And Bernie ejects the microtape. He tosses it into an old aquarium tank filled with similar tapes. Semi-satisfied, Bernie goes to his desk by the window. Stacks of papers and files, pages taped to the walls. He runs his tongue along the inside of his cheek like you do after a trip to the dentist. It's numb. He flicks it with a pen, a little too hard. On the other side of Bernie's laptop are a pair of bobble-headed geisha dolls. He bobbles their heads. Morning, girls. Another day in paradise. And through the window, the two kids from the opening, loaded down with book bags, headed for the sidewalk out front. They're his. Bernie knocks on the window. The kids keep moving, so he throws it open. Kids, hang on. Guys. And they turn. Chris Schwartz is 17. He's lanky and awkward, non-adorable, mouth like a buzzsaw. Kathy Schwartz is 16, fragile and porcelain. Her voice is like a whispered prayer. 
Listen, uh, the career day thing. I think I think I'm going to have to pull out of that. Maybe. I mean, I've got this numb situation developing with my face. Chris and Kathy stare up at their half-shaven, pajama-clad father hanging out the window. Total indifference. I think my Prozac dose is off. Get a grip, Dad. I don't know, guys. I'm ha- I'm having trouble feeling my face. Look, look, see, look, he, look. Bernie pinches his cheek. He waggles it. I'll pray for you. No, 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 don't do that. The fuck, Kathy? Enough with the Bible humping. And don't say fuck, Chris. Then what should I do? Sing it? No, 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 don't do that. Chris turns his back on Bernie, strolls down the driveway, singing at the top of his lungs. Fuck the magic dragon, fucked by the sea. Frolicked in the fucking mist in a land called Fuckalee. Bernie watches his two fucked up teens trudge away. Something wrong with that boy. We're in the kitchen, the dated kitchen. Could use a remodeling. Bernie pulls a box of eggwitches from the freezer, scrapes the frost off the box, and reads the expiration date. June 2014. Bernie tears open the severely expired box of eggwitches. He jams one in the microwave, watches the carousel hum and turn. Breakfast of champions. We're in Kathy's room. Bernie stands in the doorway of his daughter's room. It's like a cell in a nunnery, austere, small religious icons neatly placed, a Bible next to the crisply made bed. Ah, Lord Almighty. He places a small stack of folded sweaters on her bed. In Chris's room, it's an unmade bed, dirty clothes piles. Bernie holds his egg witch between his teeth, dumps a load of clean laundry on top of the dirty clothes. He eyes the bookshelf. Every title is a trigger for jacking off or starting a business. Women made easy. Be a millionaire by 21. The vagina monologues. Bernie sets his egg witch down, slips out a slim yellow volume. It's the children's classic Curious George. As he turns to the first page, a blinding white light flashes us to 11 years ago. Chris and Kathy, little and cute back then, snuggled on a twin bed with mom. She's Lila, fun and warm, golden hair. This is how it was before it all went to shit. Bernie smiles, watching her with her arms around the kids. Curious George in her lap, reading a bedtime story in a smoky, sultry voice. This is George. He lived in Africa. He was a good monkey and always very curious. And we're close on the picture of George swinging carefree. We end the flashback. Bernie, alone again, he stares at the book. You naive little ape. And we're in the bathroom, Bernie in the mirror, putting on a tie for the first time in forever. He runs through his career day speech. It's, uh, well, thanks to Principal Porter and everyone here at the IRV. He runs his tongue against the inside of his mouth. A.K.A. Irving Thalberg High. For this side of his face, wipes a trickle of drool. Ah, uh, for this uh, opportunity to talk about my uh, career as a uh, he picks up a small silver crucifix and jabs at his cheek. Homeworker, aka one who works from home. Nothing, numb. Bernie looks long and hard at himself at everything he is and everything he isn't. <sighs> Roadkill. We're at Irving Thalberg High School. Chris and Kathy merge and mingle with the teen traffic outside of this high school, a.k.a. the Irv. The old school marquee reads, 
Key Club and Keyettes present Halloween Spookfest, Saturday at 7 p.m. Up steps Frank Dial, 17, an African-American, tall, slender, slight. He's overdressed in a blue blazer and khakis, a parody of preppy blue blood. What's up, Kimasabi? My brother. There's some ridiculously elaborate handshake thing they do. Why? Who can say? Frank notices Kathy, which so few people do. She's absorbed in a thick book. What are you reading, Catherine? Don't encourage her. It's Father Albin Butler's The Lives of Saints. Did you know that St. Anthony of Padua is the patron saint of both the elderly and travel hostesses? Kathy, Jesus, we're Jewish. Christ. Chris snatches Kathy's book, jams it into an overflowing trash can. She digs it back out and glares her way off. It's not that Kathy's not unbearable. It's not that Kathy's not a pill. But it's also not that you don't not always have to be an asshole. Check it. Frank Dial drops the triple-double negative. I'm not not doping that way. From off, out of nowhere, a big red dodgeball womps off of Chris's face, then bounces straight back to Richard Stone, 18, Chinese, adopted, built like a dumpster, well-honed mean streak. He and his hench kids all grip dodgeballs, eyes boring into Chris and Frank. You might want to think about running ass cracks. You might want to think about whether a slightly deflated red children's ball is an object that strikes fear into the hearts of men. Pro tip, it is not. They unload on Chris and Frank, balls bouncing everywhere. They endure the barrage, barely flinching. During the onslaught, on the sly, Chris slips a pair of cheap plastic vampire teeth into his mouth. He bears his fangs at stone, hissing. Okay, it's an odd comeback. There's something wrong with you, Schwartz. We go to a psychiatrist's office. Bernie's therapist, Dr. Moreau, 60, sits in a leather club chair, legs crossed. Bernie is slumped on a couch. There's something wrong with me. Could you be more specific? Hit me. Bernie. Seriously, hit me. I think I need different pills. I can't feel my face. I'm numb. Bernie waggles his numb cheek. Bernie, it's not your face. It's the divorce. It's been six years now. You're still locked in stasis. We need to be able to name it. Oh, I can name it. I can, I can name it if that's what we're doing. Dr. Moreau waits for the naming, prompts Bernie. Her name is Lila. You can say it. Bernie slow blinks, rubs his eyes, tries to find the words. Lila. She, uh, she, she, um, she what? Go on. Bernie stares at his hands, sad, angry, in stasis. She, she made me feel small. Uh, small. So, so small. Like she could dropkick me. And she did. She did. How's that? That's good, Bernie. We're making progress. You might be. I'm not. Honestly, I just, I just need new pills. Bernie slaps himself as hard as he can across the face. Uh, see? Dr. Moreau picks up the prescription pad. In the Irving Thalberg High School Auditorium, we're close on Bernie. He's mid-presentation, sweating, microphone held to his mouth. So, uh, career-wise, uh, my particular field is um, 
He's in front of a packed auditorium of juniors and seniors, flanked by a dozen parents and faculty in folding chairs. Behind him, a gigantic banner reads, Your Future. Online newsletter editing, or, or, or blogging, as it is sometimes known. So, journalism, right? Kind, kinda. On the Irv kids, it's a tough crowd. Bernie pauses. He's he's lost. He wipes a trickle of drool with the back of his hand. Then he holds up an iPad, swipes through some pages. Yeah, you've, you've got anything from Footloose, the leading uh, podiatric uh, news source in cyberspace, to Infinite Horizons, a very popular travel site for the elderly, uh, keeping them on the move. Slowly, of course. Bernie is bombing. He nervously taps his numb cheek with the mic. It booms and reverbs. The kids grow restless. Find Chris. He's slunk in his seat in the back row, looking totally mortified. Frank Dial is seated beside him. Sorry, my brother. Christ. No wonder mom left us. And we're back on Bernie. So why? 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 Eight years ago, did I turn my back on a, well, a, a pretty darn good, I mean, I was uh, was an advertising copy editor, but I look out my window in the mornings and I see people like like Bill here. And we're on Bill Cartwright, one of the parent speakers. He's Bernie's age, but self-satisfied, probably still fits in his high school clothes. Yeah, my neighbor, Mr. Cartwright, who spoke before about his uh, high rolling, high stakes uh yeah, well, I look out my window and I see Bill up in his brand new Beamer, which, which, by the way, Bill, I've been meaning to tell you, sweet, sweet car. And I see him driving off into the grind and one word pops into my mind. Major stress. Am I right, Bill? He holds out the mic to Bill, who shrugs, smug grin. I think I can handle the stress of seven figures in a sports car. There's laughs from the kids. Ouch. Okay. Well, whereas I, as a homeworker, one who works from the home, I'm in my PJs and I'm staying in them, sometimes for days. For that is my prerogative. And from the back, we hear loud. For Christ's sakes, wrap it up, Dad. Oh, hey, Chris. There he is. That's, uh, that's my boy. Come on, Chris, stand up. And Bernie leads the applause. There's no takers, Chris. Shrinks. No. No, okay, okay. Uh, see, that's my point. Family. You work from home, you, you get to spend more time with the family. Simple as that. And I think the kids will tell you. Uh, Chris? Kathy, are, are you here? No? Anyway, uh, they'll tell you. You can't put a price on that. Because if family is not worth giving up everything for, well, what is? And we're on Chris with his head buried in his hands. So... As you kids look to your uh, future. Uh, Bernie, Bernie gestures grandly behind him at the banner. Remember, there's no place uh, like home for work. And Principal uh, Porter eases the microphone away from Bernie, stops the bleeding. There's a notable lack of applause. In the Irv's secretary's office, Kathy sits meekly across from the school secretary, was dwarfed by a huge sign, Halloween Spookfest. I'm innocent, Miss Dial. Renata Dial is the no-nonsense school secretary, everybody's stern second mother, and first and only mother to Frank Dial. Mrs. Dial holds up a pile of religious pamphlets. 
You just cannot be handing out religious materials in the hallways of the Irv, Kathy. It's just the word of God. We don't do God here, girl. Not in my school. But God is everywhere. Honey, you keep up with this kind of nonsense, you'll end up friendless and reviled. Hear me? I don't want to have to call your parents, Kathy. Parent. Singular. My mother is a selfish bitch who fucked everybody in this town and then left me and moved to Arizona. There's the crack in the holier-than-thou veneer. Under it is the pain and sadness of an abandoned little girl. So it's parent, Miss Dial. I'm sorry, Kathy, I knew that. But that was a while ago. Is there some rule about how long it takes to get over not having a mother? Listen, if you ever need to talk to someone... Kathy locks on to Mrs. Dial, wanting... There's always Mrs. Suarez in the counseling office. Oh, okay. No comfort here or anywhere. Kathy reaches for her pamphlets. Renata slams her hand down on top. Bam. Leave it! We're in the Rite Aid drugstore at the pharmacy counter. The pharmacist, Phil Yardley, 70, announces a filled prescription. Johnson? Uh, your Nardo's up. Stan Johnson? Bernie is next in line. He drops his new Prozac prescription. Yardley puts on his bifocals. Prozac? How's that been working out for you? It's making me doubt the mystery of my own soul. Maybe you should just kill yourself. God, <laughs> only be a minute. Bernie wanders to the self-service blood pressure machine. He slips his arm through the cuff, drops a quarter in. The machine whirs, and from off... You're a cadaver, Bern. Don't need a machine to tell you that. It's Bill Cartwright, the BMW neighbor from Career Day. Hell. Hey, what happened up there today? A little rough. Principal Porter leans over to me and says, uh, is that baloney I smell? And I say, no, it's Bernie's flop sweat. Uh, yeah. No, I don't know. Kids, you know, they can be, uh, especially the big ones, you know, uh, the old ones, you know. They can. Ber Bernie stares at the climbing numbers on the machine. His arm is trapped in the expanding bladder. Hey, did you hear? My Sosie's early admission to Princeton. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, Chris is uh, hes keeping his options open. Bill nods, knowing Chris, and therefore his options. At the counter. Bernie, Prozac's up. Bernie flashes a weak grin at Cartwright, tries to pull out of the machine. It's got him gripped good. Finally, the machine sets him free with a whoosh. Prozac? You all right, Schwartz? Of course. Obviously. Bernie rushes over to the counter, and we're close on two pill bottles. One is Bernie's Prozac. The other is Mr. Johnson's Nardle. Bernie grabs the nearest bottle. It's the Nardle, the wrong prescription. As Bernie hustles out, Cartwright leans over to the pharmacist. You look a little droopy to you. And we're at the football field at the Irv. Football practice is breaking up. Chris and Frank Dial cut across the track towards the half-empty parking lot. In the parking lot, they sit behind an equipment shed sharing a joint. Notebooks open in their laps. They're business journals. It's a brainstorming session. You know you're having a bad day when... You're in a six-foot hole and your friends are throwing dirt in your face. Nice. Mean t-shirt or bumper sticker? Mean. Okay. You know you're having a bad day when... 
you wake up naked and face down on the sidewalk of an unfamiliar city to find a policeman beating the backs of your thighs with a billy club. T-shirt, 100%. <laughs> Chris rifles through the pages of his notebook. Uh, Blowjobs suck. Bumper sticker, definitely. Our first million-dollar seller. Approving nods. In sync, Chris drags on the dube and muses. Must suck to be a dad. To be your dad. Must suck to have to do shit you don't want all the time. Crap work, crap life. Fucking career day. Yeah, that was brutal. Is he okay? Bernie's Bernie. He just does Bernie. That's all he knows. Just wish he was better at it. Chris leans in to look at Frank's notebook, which is in Frank's lap, which means that Chris's face is pretty much in Frank's lap now, which is awkward because rounding the corner of the shed in football practice jerseys are Richard Stone and his hench kids. From where they stand, it looks like some monkey business. Wow. I'm just minding my own business, shortcutting at home when I practically trip over a geek, a Jew, and a commie in a pair of fags. And the amazing thing is, there's only two of you. Oh, how I grow aware of you, Richard Stone. <laughs> what is this? Love letters? It's startup concepts, you wadded dick. Millions of dollars worth. Stone rolls the notebook into a tube and whacks Chris across the face with it hard. Uh-uh. No, you don't. Frank Dial lunges for Richard Stone. The hench kids pin Frank's arms. Chris assesses the situation. Save yourself, brother. And he takes off running as Stone rears back with his meaty club-like fist. It's not looking good for Frank Dial. On Del Mar Boulevard in San Marino, Bernie drives his 2007 Honda Civic down the main drag. The usual chain stores, retail hell. In Bernie's car, he uncaps the prescription bottle with his teeth, shakes out a pill, the wrong pill, and pops it onto his tongue. He swigs from a jumbo 7-Eleven coffee, spots Chris up ahead, and eases over. Hey, kid, want a ride? Chris reluctantly climbs in. They ride in typical teen parent silence, and then... You got nothing to say about this? And he points to his reddened, abraded, slapped-up face. Oh, what happened there? I was assaulted with a rolled-up notebook. Uh, oh, you, you mouthed off and got hit? With a spiral binding. Did I mention with a spiral binding? Who was it? What do you mean, who was it? Richard Stone. It's always Richard Stone. Oh, right, uh, that husky kid who the weird stones adopted. What did I tell you about him? Nothing. You told me literally nothing. This has been going on since freshman bonding weekend. Drop and roll, okay? That's it? Drop and roll? Yeah, always worked for me. Chris sighs. There's no comfort here. There's no comfort anywhere. So, the Halloween thing. Uh, spook fest. Yeah, don't come. I'm chaperoning. That blows. So, what are you going as? Giant penis. Funny, I'm going as hairy balls. But Chris won't smile. It's a stalemate. Bernie's house in the Schwartz's living room, it's a mishmash of dated furniture. Somehow lawn chairs have crept into the decor. Bernie is zoned out in front of the TV. 
Kathy kneels at the coffee table, working on a thousand-piece puzzle of Da Vinci's The Last Supper. She thumbs in her last piece, but there's a hole. Jesus's eyes are missing. Chris waltzes in with a 32-ounce can of Arizona iced tea and an ice pack taped to his non-injury. He's making a point. Kathy searches the rug, looks under the table. Nothing. Anyone seen the last piece? I'm missing Jesus's eyes. Bernie shrugs. Chris smirks. Chris? What? Give it to me. What? The eyes. Dad, tell Chris to give me Jesus's eyes. Chris. Chris turns to Kathy with the puzzle piece stuck in his eye socket like a monocle. Don't know what you're talking about. Chris! Kathy makes a grab for the eyes. Chris pops it into his mouth, sogging it up. Dad! Uh, Chris. Spit out the Jesus eyes, will ya? Chris hocks the puzzle piece onto the coffee table, then leans back on the sofa. Fucking bullshit. Kathy swabs off the cardboard. Bernie watches TV. Beat. You could be a lot more dad-like, you know. Huh? In what sense? Like when I say the word fuck? Hit me across the face. Be more authoritative. Okay, I'll try. Oh, you'll have to do better than that. Don't talk back to me, young man. I've had just about enough of your back sass. Yeah, good, like that. Bernie backhands a glass off the table. It's plastic, so it bounces rather than shatters. He puts a finger in Chris's face. I mean it. Shut your hole or you'll be sorry you were ever even born. Chris nods, oddly exhilarated. Sly smile from Bernie. In Kathy's room that night, Kathy's in front of her mirror in full vamp makeup. She tries out a sexy pout, then a tidal wave of guilt washes over her. She wet wipes off the makeup, scrubbing herself clean and raw, grabs her Bible, dives under her covers. Chris is in bed, too, knees up, reading, get rich quicker, and he's obviously jerking off. A tap at the door. Chris drops his knees and tents the book over his crotch. Bernie pops his head in. You left your moldering egg witch in here, trespasser. He crosses to pick up the abandoned breakfast, tosses a couple of college pamphlets on Chris's bed. Pick these up at the Irv. We should, uh, you know, probably give some thought to the college thing. Can't wait to get rid of me? What? No. No. Why would I want? No. Chris half-assedly looks at a pamphlet. UCSB looks nice. Uh, your aunt, uh, uh, what's her name? She went there. The one who screwed her ethics professor, blackmailed him, and did time for mail fraud? It wasn't mail fraud. It was extortion. And have you seen her? She should have been paying him. <laughs> Chris actually laughs, which makes Bernie laugh. <laughs> Save your money, Bern. I don't need to go to college to learn those kinds of ethics. Fair point. Anyway, give those, uh, you know, a, a gander. A gander? Mm-hmm. Okay. Look, we done? Because I was kind of in the middle of something. Oh, yeah, the the jerking off. Oh, right. Well, finish your business. Night then, Chris. Good night, Bernie. In the upstairs hallway, Bernie heads for his own room and closes himself in. Then, from behind her closed bedroom door, the small voice of the forgotten daughter. Good night, Father. Oh, uh, good night, Kathy. Lights out under three doors. Another B-minus day in the books. 
You know, summer's definitely in full swing, and hopefully that means cookouts and dinner parties. Always be ready with a freezer full of fresh, ready-to-bake delicious options from Wild Grain. Wild Grain's the first ever Bake from Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. You're never going to run the risk of getting bored with Wild Grain. I can assure you this is true because I've been subscribing for months and months now and there's always new stuff. We just had these great strawberry rhubarb turnovers the other night. So good. Uh, And then let's see, last night we made this slow fermented olive oil ciabatta delicious they're constantly adding new seasonal and limited time special items to try every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less no need to defrost anything you put it right from your freezer into your oven plus for every new member wild grain donates six meals to the greater boston food bank so you can eat good and do good all at the same time plus for a limited time you can get 30 dollars off the first box Plus, yep, that's another plus, free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash deadpilots to start your subscription. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash deadpilots. That's wildgrain.com slash deadpilots, or you can use promo code deadpilots at checkout. Hi, I'm Ketchup. And I'm Socks. And I'm ball bearings. And I'm pigeons. And I'm water towers. And I'm cardboard. Surprise! We're actually humans. Humans making a podcast about those kinds of topics. Because those are real episode topics on the podcast, secretly incredibly fascinating. That's a podcast where we take ordinary seeming things like ketchup and socks and cardboard and bring you the little known history and science and stories that make those things secretly incredibly fascinating. Secretly incredibly fascinating. The title of the podcast. Hear the back catalog anytime and hear new amazing episodes every Monday at MaximumFun.org. In Bernie's garage office, there's Bernie, his PJs, coffee, antidepressant. He pops another pill, the wrong pill. He bobbles his geisha girl heads. Morning, girls. Another day in paradise. At the Costco, the big box bulk store, Saturday's crowded parking lot. Inside, Bernie prowls the aisles, a voice over the PA. Attention bargain shoppers. Special today on pea and ham cup of soup. 43 count, limit four flats per customer, aisle 71. Bernie listens, slack-jawed, while a small stream of drool leaks from his numb mouth. He pushes his cart down aisle 71. At St. Mary's Church, Kathy pedals up on her purple bike, kickstands it in front of the looming church. Inside, it's dark, gloomy, holy, and scary. Kathy walks towards the gilt altar with its gruesome crucifix, looks up at the Christ, its wounds weeping blood. There's a wave of empathy. How could they do that to you? A priest appears from the sacristy. Kathy spooks, takes off running, sneakers squeaking on marble. At the Baskin Robbins, 31 flavors, Frank Dial is working his Saturday job. He sports a nasty black eye. The bell rings at the door. It's Chris, his shift mate. Instant unease between them. You're late. Chris flips in the bird, grabs an ugly uniform cap, and dons it. Frank Dial glares at him good. Chris ignores him, drizzles caramel into his mouth, an icy silence, and then, 
Frank Dial holds out a handwritten folded note. Chris takes it and reads. Dear Christopher, it comes as something of a disappointment to me, given our often somewhat ironically professed status as so-called blood brothers, that you would prioritize your own self-preservation. When, as they say, the chips were down, as they undoubtedly were this Friday past, over my apparent and demonstrable need to have somebody there to, quote, have my back, unquote, that's someone who should have, by rights, been you. Consider this notice termination of the conditions pursuant to our being brothers of blood in good standing. Yours in contempt, Francis Delano Dial. Chris soberly folds the note, tucks it in his back pocket, crosses to the register, takes a pad and pen. He writes, tears a page, folds it, hands it to Frank. Sorry about that, Christopher Millhouse Swartz. Frank Dial folds the note, tucks it in his pocket, nods to Chris. Truce. They're good. Gear shift. Yo, Mickey Crunk did ass ice cream on Thursday night. Seriously? Yeah, he asked the pistachio. You can still see the print. Let's do Rocky Road. Chris pulls down his pants and eases his skinny white ass into the open five-gallon tub of Rocky Road. He wiggles, leaving a distinctive ass print. Ding at the door. It's Richard Stone and his hench kids. Chris ducks out of sight. Oh, look, the punching bag in the pussy. Oh, look, the football playing Cro-Magnum proto-humans. What'd you say? Uh, beg your pardon? You're lucky I let you live, punk. Chris rises from behind the counter, clean-assed. Please, please, gents. I don't want no trouble. Come on, Stone, take yourself a scoop. Gratis. Chris digs out a generous scoop of the assed Rocky Road, hands the cone to Richard Stone, who takes a big lick. Chris and Frank Dial, mutual appreciation. In Bernie's bedroom, he sits on his unmade bed, patiently inflating a purple balloon with a hand pump. He ties it off, drops it on the floor next to dozens just like it. Exterior of his house, the street is jumping with sugared up, crying toddlers and cynical preteens out for the annual candy bonanza. Two neighbor kids knock on the door. It's the Wilson brats, eight-year-old identical twins in matching Satan outfits. Chris opens up. He's dressed as Ziggy Stardust. Silver knee boots, silver tunic, tight pants, pink eyeshadow, white base, mascara. He looks like the world's ugliest 1970s girl. Trick or treat! Christ, I can't handle this right now. <laughs> and he slams the door in their faces. In the front hall, Bernie waddles into the front hallway with those purple balloons pinned all over a brown body stocking, plus a beanie with a little green stalk sticking out of the top. Who is that? Wilson Bratz. Uh, you're going as grapes again? When will you learn? Chris pops one of Bernie's balloon grapes. Kathy appears at the top of the stairs, dressed in a pale blue and white Carmelite nun's habit. Surplus, wimple, the whole nine yards. An intense, beatific gaze. What do you know? The lame sister's going as a lame sister. I'm Edith Stein, a.k.a. Teresa of the Cross. Our very first Jewish saint, in case you were wondering. Wasn't. You look good in blue, honey. Kathy serenely descends the stairs like she's floating. 
Bernie's car that night on the way to the Halloween dance, Bernie struggles to steer in his grapes outfit. Kathy's in the back seat. They're going to martyr your ass at the dance tonight, said the 12th grade transvestite. I will burn you at the stake. Bernie pulls into the school lot, dabbing sweat from his forehead. A couple more of his grapes burst. Inside the Irv, kids in costume mingle and meander into the Halloween, Halloween spook fest. A giant ice cream cone girl makes out with a Frankenstein boy. A cigarette smokes a cigarette. In the gym, there's black lights, cobwebs, paper mache skeletons. The music is deafening. A Hitler talks to a Jesus. The Grim Reaper grinds with Raggedy Ann. Renata Dial patrols the party in buzzkill mode. She confiscates a hip flask from one of the kids, moves in on a groping couple, and pulls them apart. Bernie stands off to one side. Something is way off with him. He's sweating buckets, limbs jerking involuntarily, eyes darting weirdly around the room. He spots Chris lurking on the perimeter of the party, miserable in his glitter suit. His Carmelite nun daughter sits off to one side, alone, doing the rosary. Bernie saddens visibly, pats his clammy brow with a napkin. Renata Dial approaches. Uh, everything all right, Mr. Schwartz? You look a little damp around the... Yeah, yeah, I'm fine, Renata. It's Mrs. Dial. Noted. Frank Dial makes an entrance dressed in a Colonel KFC Sanders getup. Renata Dial makes a beeline for him. Hello, Mother. I, <laughs> I get the irony, Francis. But this reverse racial appropriation is only funny if you weren't there. And she smacks him upside the head for good measure. Suddenly there's a commotion coming from Chris's corner. The Incredible Hulk is bearing down on Ziggy Stardust. It's Richard Stone, his face and Volvo-sized torso painted Hulk green. He grabs Chris by the collar. Frank Dial stands at a distance, watching Chris get karma Rabo told me what you did. You asked my fucking ice cream. And you ate it. You're a simple boy, Dickie Stone, with a brain the size of an eyelash. You die, Schwartz. Chris is calm, asking for it. Just out of curiosity, how did my ass taste? Creamy? Nutty? Chewy? And Stone punches Chris hard. He falls, skids across the gym floor, tangled in the feet of the dancers. Stone straddles Chris's chest. He rears back for the death blow. But a hand yanks Stone off of Chris. It's Bernie, with as much menace as a man dressed as a bunch of grapes can muster. Don't, kid. Who the fuck are you? I'm his father. Yeah, and what are you going to do? I will rip your heart out, dribble it across this gymnasium, and dunk it like a fucking basketball. Bernie is twitching with anger. His heart can actually be heard beating over the music. He stares stone down. You need to exit this spook fest before I do something we will both regret. This ends now. And with all of the Irv watching, Stone has to back down. He turns and storms out. Chris dusts himself off and jumps up. Whoa, Dad, that's more like it. He goes for a big bro hug, slaps Bernie on the back. You're badass, Dad. Seriously. He steps back and looks at his dad with actual genuine admiration for the first time in forever. But Bernie is struggling to catch his breath, panting, sweating. The room is starting to close in on him. Wait, Dad, you're sweating like a freak. You okay? Look, I'm not. I'm, I'm not feeling. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go. Is there a punch? 
Bernie staggers through the mass of dancers. A strobe illuminates the costumed kids in a nauseating series of garish close-ups. Fangs, red werewolf tongues, reptilian space aliens, a powdery ghoul, the sorrowful, beatific face of his daughter. Everything is spinning, whirring, Bernie's grape balloons bursting like piercing gunshots. Bernie lunges for the punch bowl, grabs the edge of the table. As his feet slip out from under him, the punch bowl upends. In slow motion, it crashes to the floor, shattering. The red liquid pools and drenches Bernie as he slips into unconsciousness. Sounds of wailing sirens as a blinding white light flashes us to St. Gabriel's Hospital in San Marino. The ER waiting area jammed with Halloween night patients in macabre costumes. A Dracula clutches a broken arm. A tipsy clown holds a blood-soaked cloth to his eye. A temporary arrhythmia caused a small thrombus or clot to form in one of the major blood vessels near his heart. Chris paces the hard green floor in his platform heels. Kathy sits serenely in her nun's habit. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. A power ranger with a stab wound shifts two seats down. The clot traveled to his brain and temporarily cut off circulation to an entire of his brain. The clot traveled to his brain and temporarily cut off circulation into an area of his brain's left hemisphere. In Dr. Danmeyer's office, we're close on a CT scan of Bernie's brain. There is a noticeable gray blot on the left side. That's what a stroke is, or at least that's one kind of stroke. It's Dr. Danmeyer, the neurosurgeon in charge, in her wrinkled cotton surgical scrubs. She looks like she just fell out of bed, beautiful, rumpled, overwhelmed. What are you saying, Dr. Danmeyer? Father's had a stroke? Aren't you a little young to be a brain doctor? Dr. Danmeyer is thrown by Chris and by the suffering Kathy. Um, no, no, not, uh, well, yes, but no, not, not really. She tries for a quiet authority, but doesn't quite make it. Okay, uh, your father has what's known as serotonin syndrome. It happens when a patient takes a serotonin reuptake inhibitor like Prozac, but it seems your father also ingested a monoamine oxidase inhibitor, and the combination of these two often has a traumatic side effect. What? He was trying to, what, kill himself? Is he going to die? Most patients with serotonin syndrome recover. But some die. Very few. In rare cases, like your father's, the combination interferes with higher brain function and the patient enters a coma. The word coma echoes. Coma. 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 Chris and Kathy look at each other. A silent, mutual realization. Coma. I know this is a lot to take in. Jesus Christ, Dan Meyer. Bernie's in a fucking coma? And he bolts out the door. In the ICU... Outside Bernie's hospital room, Chris and Kathy stand at the window, staring into the ICU at their pale father on a metal bed with tubes sticking out of him. Is your mother available to be contacted? Lila divorced him six years ago. You know how these things are. Nobody was really in the wrong, per se. People grow apart. Their needs change. I think you need to give her a call. Dan Meyer places a comforting hand on Chris's shoulder. He reads this as a come on, looks at Dan Meyer with a leer. Mime's pulling out two six shooters, shoots from the hip as he backs away with an eyebrow waggle and a smirk. There is something wrong with that boy. We're on Kathy, her healing hands pressed up against the window pane, looking at the broken Bernie with terror, pity, hope, and despair. 
I'm here, Dad. It's Kathy. I know you don't see me, but I'm here. In the hospital waiting room, Chris leans against a vending machine. We're close on his cell phone. The contact reads, Lila left us. He hits dial. And we go to Lila Monroe's house in Arizona. We're in a bedroom, adobe walls, gauzy curtains, an iron bed with a sundial headboard, and overhead, dream catchers. In the center of the bed is Lila Monroe, 45, Bernie's ex. She's engaged in bedroom stuff. A head is giving her head under the sheets. She glances into a full-length mirror by the bed, runs her fingers through her hair. This one loves herself a lot. On the nightstand, Lila's cell phone rings. The caller ID reads, the kid. She frowns, sighs, reaches over and picks up as the bedroom stuff continues unabated. What's up, kiddo? Listen, I can't really talk right now. What? Lila sits up, getting momentarily caught up in a dream catcher as she bats it away angrily. He's what? Oh my God, this is typical. Look, you and your sister may not be aware, but things are at a very critical juncture for me out here. I have real life things going on. <laughs> Fucking coma, really. It's all his way of trying to get attention. I hope you know that. The person servicing her emerges from under the sheets. He's Sextus, 26, her boy toy, low IQ, but high sex appeal. So what exactly does he expect me to do? Just drop everything and... Uh, yeah, yeah. Look, I'll let you know. And she hangs up and tosses the phone away. What's up, sweet girl? Family bullshit. And Lila shoves Sextus's head back under the covers and sinks back into her pillow. At the bus stop in San Marino, Chris and Kathy sit on the bus stop bench. There's space between them. Chris looks punched. Tears stream down Kathy's cheeks. Without looking at her, Chris slides over, puts an arm around her shoulder. She leans in. Ziggy Stardust, sorry, Ziggy Stardust and Teresa of the Cross staring out at the deserted streets of San Marino. In Bernie's hospital room were close on Bernie's face, motionless, ghostly. Tubes, wires, a saline drip, drip, dripping. An EKG monitor is blipping neon green line, short vertical bursts angling upwards, and then the line becomes fluid, cursive. It's trying to say something. Slowly letters form, H, E, L, P. Over and over again, H, E, L, P. We drift down the monitor stand to the hospital floor and right through the linoleum into Bernie's world. It's a claustrophobic subfloor room. Bernie is strapped to an antique wheelchair, a blanket across his lap. His IV and monitor lines run through the ceiling. Emergency lights blink on and off, bathing Bernie in a hellish red light. The two geishas in full Japanese dress nurse Bernie. His bobblehead ga gals come to life. They lift small china cups of tea to his parched lips. The garbled sounds of the doctors in the hospital above. We're close on Bernie's face. A mix of confusion and panic overtakes him. He opens his mouth and screams. Let me out! And that's the end of the pilot. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that. Come back next week for episode two and the week after for my interview with Michelle and Kieran. Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co-host Ben Blacker and our associate producer Noah Findling. It is edited and mixed 
by Jordan Katz. Our theme song is by Ted Leo. If you like the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend. Follow us on social media. You don't want to miss these live shows. We're going to start doing more, and they're really great. The way to find out about them is to follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, I guess on Facebook. I don't even know. Anyway, until next time, I'm Andrew Reich. Thank you for listening. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.